Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Tuesday, January 2nd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today marks the first day of the 2024 legislative session. Lawmakers from across Mississippi will gather at the state capitol in Jackson to begin filling their bills and getting situated. Each chamber gavels in at noon today. I'm joined this morning by our political analyst to discuss what's expected to be at the top of the agenda this year, Lucian Smith. He is the former chair of the Mississippi Republican Party and Democrat Brandon Jones is a former member of the Mississippi House. Thank you both for being with us and Brandon's with us live by phone, a little under the weather, but we really appreciate your participation this morning and Lucian is in the studio. Thank you. Absolutely. Good to be with you, Desiree. Brandon? Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. First question, when lawmakers get to the Capitol today, they won't be operating with a budget recommendation signed by the Joint Legislative Budget Committee and the governor in November. Committee members spoke with the state economists who said there will be some economic growth, but it's going to slow down in the coming months. So the committee drafted an estimate that was lower than Governor Tate Reeves wanted because he wants to see cuts in uh, income tax. How do you feel about that, Lucian? Since lawmakers don't have an official budget draft, will this affect how they attack issues? Does that do anything to their plans? I I don't think so. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, and the the people at the Legislative Budget Office work very hard putting together uh, the LBR, the Legislative Budget Recommendation. But the real work ends up getting done in the session. I mean, I've always felt like LBR was kind of a gimmick. The numbers were very low. um, So you were able to come in later and say, well, we were able to get it to 10 percent above what the legislative budget recommendation, because the initial recommendation was never a, a particularly serious budget document. It was it was always a little bit lower. So I don't think this will be a, a major issue in terms of how they put the budget together this year. Okay. Branding, your thoughts on that? Yeah, Lucian's right. Typically, the work that goes into crafting the budget is, occurs late in the session. Typically, that's a 90-day period. This time, we have four months. So we actually have a little bit more time to work on the budget than uh, than as usual. Um, so I, I don't think it necessarily means that we won't have a completed budget on time, those types of things. I do think you could probably see a little bit of the fault lines between the governor and legislative leadership. I, I think, you know, there have been tensions in the past. I'm curious, uh, with the governor barely squeaking out of his election in November, 
um, what type of authority and power he's going to be able to wield in these types of debates for the legislature. I think the legislature could be looking to flex a little bit and show a little bit more dominance in this process than it has perhaps in past sessions. And I guess in in line with what you're talking about, state agencies every year are looking for more funding. They want to be able to pay their folks more, increase the workforce, update infrastructure, and then they have some operations that don't have reoccurring funds. Would that be something you can see maybe happening this year more than in the past? Lucian. I think thing, I, I don't see. I mean, the, the legislature is as flush with cash as it has been um, at any time that I can remember. So I, I think, in terms of actual needs getting met, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I do think uh, Brandon is right that there are going to be there is a little bit of a fault line between some of the legislative leadership and the governor over over tax cuts, and I think that's where you're going to see some real fighting this year. But in terms of actual needs, I, I think there is plenty of money to make sure everyone. Uh, every agency gets the funding that it actually needs. Now, is that going to be every bit of funding that every agency director wants? Of course not. But, but you know, a lot of times you go through this budget process, you ask for the moon, and you hope you get the stars. And I, I think that's probably what's um, what's going to happen this legislative session as well. Okay. Speaking of tax cuts, Lieutenant Governor and many Democrats want to eliminate the grocery tax and reduce other flat taxes that disproportionately affect low-income Mississippians and others such as the governor, Reeves, he wants to see, as I mentioned, the income tax reduced more or completely eliminated virtually. That is what he's looking to do. Which would you say is in the best interest of Mississippians, Brandon? Well, the grocery tax impacts every Mississippian across the board. And, and we, right now we have the highest tax on unprepared food in the country. Um, that's really out of line with where we are economically. And the people who pay the greatest price for that are our poorest Mississippians. So if you want to talk about fairness and equity, that's one of the most unfair taxes that we have in the system in terms of how it penalizes people who are, have the hardest time paying for food, um, penalizes them the most. And so I think that removing the grocery tax or uh, reducing it, significantly would be a big deal and a good deal for Mississippians. And I'm glad to hear uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman talking about that. I'm glad that some Republicans in the House are open to it. And I hope that's the direction they go in um, in this session. Should they decide that they are going to cut the grocery tax, maybe do some more reductions to the income tax, Lucian, how would they fill those holes? How would they make up the difference? Well, I think, first of all, I, I agree with Brandon. I'm glad to hear that um, there is discussion of, of restructuring the grocery tax. Um, I do hope that we will see the elimination of the income tax in this legislative session, because I think that'll help make Mississippi a more competitive place, both to recruit businesses, but also to recruit individuals, especially as they get closer to retirement. But I think it's got to be done as part of a comprehensive uh, analysis of the whole tax structure. I mean, at some point, you do have to have enough money uh, to pay your bills. You saw that happen in Kansas, where they eliminated the income tax so precipitously that uh, they, they didn't have enough money to fund state government and ended up having to come back and reverse those cuts. And, and that's the beauty of a 120-day session, is it gives the legislature a long time to figure out 
uh, how can we make Mississippi's tax structure the most competitive in the country? And that ought to be the objective of every uh, Republican or Democrat to to use this super the super majorities that the Republicans have in both chambers to see real transformational change, not nip around the edges. And that's what I hope we'll see this session. So the grocery tax right now is seven percent. If it, what would be a good reduction that people would see some benefit from Lucian? I mean, I think you have to take off a couple of points for it to be meaningful. Um, so, you know, reduction from seven to, to five or seven to three and a half. Um, but I think we got to look comprehensively at um, bringing in enough income to fund state government. Keep in mind the sales tax, and this is where things get complicated, the sales tax on groceries, part of all sales tax gets diverted to municipal and county government. So this isn't as simple. The income tax goes to the state. So the state reduces income tax. There's less money for the legislature to appropriate. If the state reduces sales tax, you've got to find a way not just to backfill what comes to the state, but also the cities and counties that rely on it. And so I think that is going to be a major part of this session if we reduce the sales tax is figuring out where do you come up with the additional income for the cities and counties. Because if you don't provide them with additional funding, either they have to reduce uh, taxes or, excuse me, either they have to reduce services or they have to increase property taxes. So you'd end up not actually uh, decreasing the tax burden on the citizens if you're not careful. Brandon, you were a member of the House. Where would you suggest those holes be filled? Well, for us, we wanted to start at 4%. Uh, that, that was that was uh, whenever Democrats last controlled the House, and, and I think Lucian will recall this. Um, I believe, if my memory serves, our proposal uh, between eight and twelve was uh, to move it to four percent, which is kind of in line with, with where other states are, if I'm not mistaken. So that that was kind of our thought. Um, but again, that's going to be a, a, an ongoing conversation during this session. I, I'm I'm very concerned about further reductions to the income tax before we see how the last reductions, before we see the last reductions get fully implemented. Because those are being phased out, right? That's right. That's right. So so we still haven't even seen the full effect of what the last income tax reductions would mean to our overall budget. And I think it would be uh, a little bit hasty to go that further down that path before we see what the last round of these cuts meant, which which I think could potentially prove devastating. Lucian's not incorrect. We have a lot of money in state coffers, but a lot of that money came from the federal government through programs related to COVID and the infrastructure bill. So you're talking about one-time federal funds that are related to very specific events. This is not all a, a factor of the state producing additional money. This is a lot of federal money that we can't count on in future years. I think we need to see how the state survives with these major cuts that we've already passed and, and kind of see where we are. And that's, that's exactly the argument that you're going to hear this legislative session, including, I suspect, from some Republicans. I mean, that was the position that the Senate took when the last round of cuts came. The House position was very strong that they wanted to eliminate all income tax. The governor's position was that he wanted to completely eliminate the income tax. The Senate position was not an opposition to eliminating the income tax. It was uh, the, the the concern that if you did it all in a single year, even if you phased it in, that you would end up not being able to absorb the sort of cuts that came. So I, I think that that is going to be a major uh, fault line this year that's not going to be broken down purely by party. It's going to be broken down very much by the different chambers having different policy positions. All right. Well, we-
we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about who's going to be possibly leading the Mississippi House and go from there into education. Thank you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of The Original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. I'm in the studio this morning with Republican Lucian Smith, the former state Republican Party leader, chair, and Democratic uh, former Democratic Representative Brandon Jones is on the phone with us. We're talking about the 2024 Mississippi legislative session, which begins today at noon. Republicans met last month. They are the supermajority. They had a preliminary vote that Jason White, Republican Jason White, would become the new Speaker of the House. Basically, it's a formality when they have that vote, and Republican Manley Barton would take his place as Speaker pro tem. Any thoughts on that, Brandon? Well, I think um, there's calls for some optimism. I mean, look, I, I... I think um, it's correct to say it's a formality. I'm sure that even uh, Jason White is, uh, you know, would say we still have to go through that full process. Um, but in all likelihood, Jason White will be the speaker by the end of the day. Um, sounds like uh, Manley Barton from Jackson County, Mississippi, is poised to be in that number two spot. Um, we have pretty good success with uh, speaker pro tems coming from the Gulf Coast. And as a you know native of the Gulf Coast, I'm glad to see uh, one of those people in leadership. Um, but the reason that I think there's cause for optimism is that I found Speaker Gunn to be largely obstinate on major issues that affected Mississippians, um, not open at all to discussing major policy possibilities like uh, closing the coverage gap for people in Mississippi who don't have insurance possibilities, um, not really uh, showing a lot of uh, interest in reviving the ballot initiative until uh, the second session when it came up, and even then kind of making a line that I, I don't know if it was entirely sincere. I, I could go on and on, but I, I'm hopeful for leadership that is more willing to work with people throughout the chamber and more willing to work with the Senate to get some actual policy solutions for Mississippians. And so you're talking about former Speaker of the House Philip Gunn, Republican Philip Gunn. That's correct. Yeah, just comparing the two possibilities, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that whoever is elected speaker today might be more open um, with how they approach the process. All right, Lucian, do you see changes happening in how leadership works this session as a result? Not overwhelmingly. Let me say, on the just to begin, I, I, the one thing I do disagree with Brandon on there, I, I think the world of Speaker Gunn, I think his willingness to consider the 2013 education reform bills uh, and ultimately pass them through the House is a significant reason why Mississippi's education is finally heading in the right direction. We're seeing these massive improvements um, under Republican leadership. But no, I don't think that there will be significant changes. Jason White was uh, Speaker Gunn's pro tem. Uh, he was his pro. He was his speaker pro tem for the last two terms. So he's been very much a part of leadership. 
Uh, I think you will see uh, very similar committee chairmen returning to the committees, uh, the, the major committees of jurisdiction. So I think in a lot of ways it, it'll be very much uh, similar to what was before. Now, I think any time you have a change in presiding officers or a change in the governor's office, there's always a little bit of tension because people are trying to figure out who's the alpha among the three of them. And so it, it's not going to surprise me, as mild-mannered as I think uh, Jason White is, you know, it's not going to surprise me to see the House throw some elbows early on as a way of saying, look, we're, we have to be taken seriously in every policy discussion. Okay. All right. One of the hot topics every year, education. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman is supporting a plan which he says would bolster the state workforce. He says this could be done by offering free community college education to students. In the Senate, we found a lot of enthusiasm for the project, and we think it will cost between 25 and $30 million a year. The first year will be less as young men and women have the opportunities uh, presented to them, but over time, we're projecting 25 to $30 million a year. All right, Lucian, there's been some major pushback by conservatives that um, forgiving student debt and the state auditor, who has also been vocal about what um, majors should be funded and how that should all go. Your thoughts on this plan that the lieutenant governor is bringing forth, talking about providing free two-year college education to Mississippi students? Well, more workforce training is just an objective good. The more people we have trained and ready to work, the more jobs we're going to be able to bring to Mississippi. And that that is what you hear uh, more often than not. Uh, when I was in the governor's office, that that when we would negotiate with companies who we were trying to recruit to Mississippi, the question tended to be, how large of a trained or trainable workforce do you have in the area where we're trying to uh, we're talking about bringing a, a factory or other job-creating uh, enterprise. And so I think whatever we can do to get more people trained, to get people in a position to be trained, to have those that infrastructure in place is a good thing. I think the specifics of the plan are going to get uh, worked out over the course of the legislative session. I do think you're correct. A lot of conservatives uh, are hesitant to expand uh, state and federal programs. But I think to the extent that we are – Using tax dollars to get more Mississippians job ready, that is something that accrues to the benefit of everybody in the state of Mississippi. Brandon, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think it's a tremendous goal. I, you know, it, it's it's funny. I have to, have to laugh, Lucian. It sounds like we want to get into the weeds and the details on things like extending free community college tuition, but we can just say kind of blindly without a complete budget, let's go ahead and cut the income tax. I mean, this is one of those things where I say this is absolutely the type of thing that a state like Mississippi should aspire toward. Um, if it wants to keep people in Mississippi, if it wants to really create a pathway to these technical jobs and, and to jobs that uh, we have a great need for in the state. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear the speaker thinking this way. And, and among the education proposals I've heard come out for this upcoming session, this is absolutely one of the best. Okay, teacher pay. They received a historic pay raise in 2022, but they're finding that the cost of increased insurance and other expenses, their deductibles, have eaten up the bulk of that increase. Do you think they are going to be able to get some more money 
this legislative session, Lucian? I think it's very possible. Like we were talking about before, the state is as flush with cash as it has been uh, at any point. And it has clearly been a priority of the Republicans in both the House and the Senate to make sure our teachers uh, are well compensated. And and that's an important thing to continue recruiting uh, high-quality teachers into the public schools and and part of continuing to improve the quality of education in Mississippi. So I I think that is a distinct possibility, yes. It seems like Mississippi is playing catch-up as soon as there is a raise for teacher pay. The surrounding states raise theirs further, and so Mississippi is in a position where we're trying to catch up. Competitively, we have trouble attracting teachers. Brandon, do you think that there will be more money put in the pot to get more teachers to the state? Well, you know, our school teachers, based on the last couple of sessions, seem to have the wind at their back. Um, education chairman and the Senate, uh, Senator DeVar, Green County, he seems to certainly be leaning this way. He, he, he barnstormed across the state talking about the need for uh, ever-increasing uh, teacher pay raises. I think he understands how important it is that we try not to be on the bottom among our southeastern states in that regard. So, I mean, it, it appears that that's certainly going to be on offer. I, you know, Lucian said it best, with the resources we have, it's sort of hard to say that we can't do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a strong possibility. I think at some point our school teachers are going to have to think in terms of how they engage this legislative system about whether they want to be a one-trick pony that is almost always coming to the uh, legislature exclusively asking for a pay raise for themselves, or if they want to also expand their request to include uh, fully funding MAEP. Because we've talked about education now for a few minutes. We haven't talked about fully funding the formula that's been in place for decades now, um, which would really increase uh, educational possibilities for our public school kids. And so if I were advising uh, Mississippi school teachers, which of course I'm not, um, I would suggest coupling this request for another pay raise in the third successive session with an increase in how we fund our public school formula. All right. Well, there's been a consistent appetite from many conservative lawmakers to expand school choice uh, to make vouchers available to attend private schools. Nationally, this is becoming a very big issue as well. Lucian, why are Republicans seeming to be the ones out front on pushing this issue? Well, I think because Republicans have been out front for the last decade, the decade where we've had control of the legislature on improving educational outcomes and shifting from a focus on what do we put into the education system to a focus on what are kids getting out of the education system. And I hope we will see comprehensive school choice passed this year because in my mind, it is a civil rights and a social justice issue. The fact of the matter is rich people in Mississippi have school choice right now. You can move to a district with high-quality public schools. If you don't like the schools in your district, you can stroke a check to a private school and send your kids there. But if you're somebody who's living on $30,000 a year, you probably can't move into a high-quality district if you're living somewhere that doesn't have great public schools. You probably can't stroke a a check to a private school. You're trapped. And this is an opportunity uh, to really give greater opportunity to every child in the state of Mississippi to be able to get a high-quality education. Okay. Then someone might say, well, what about the students who are left behind? 
Well, I, I think what we've seen in states that have that have implemented choice is the quality of the education improves across the board. I mean, the, first of all, you have fewer students to educate in those systems, but also the, that f- competition uh, forces improved outcomes in virtually every uh, context. And I don't think education is is exempt from that. And I think we've seen that in the states that have implemented comprehensive. Uh, school choice. And you're starting to see our neighboring states do it. Arkansas passed a, uh, just a massive overhaul last year. Uh, and we need to, we don't need to be left behind by being the last people to, to move in this direction. One thing that Brandon mentioned, he touched on, is fully funding K-12 schools. And that has been an ongoing issue throughout having the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, which has been around for some 20 years or more, are we ever going to fully fund this? I, there was an attempt to come up with an alternative formula. That didn't work. Where do we stand on this, Lucian? Where do you want to see this go? I'd like to see us overhaul the the formula. I mean, I, I think the idea that the education formula that was established when Bill Clinton was president is the right one to use now, I, I think is sort of silly. I do think Republican leaders have uh, made an effort to fund education. There, there's more money going into Mississippi public schools now than there ever has been in Mississippi history. Um, but I think we need to overhaul the formula uh, because it, it is a moving target that increases every year. And it's only, to your point, it's only been funded twice uh, in the 25 years that it's uh, it's been in the statute. And Brandon, you mentioned expanding the formula. How would that be done and still stay on task with other needs the state has? Well, we've certainly had that at our uh, as as one of our options for several sessions now. It's not been a money problem; it's been a policy problem. Um, and 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 let's be very clear about what vouchers is. Vouchers is an is an effort to destabilize the public school system in states like Mississippi. It's not been successful in Arkansas. It was just implemented in Arkansas. And I don't think we need to adopt the Huckabee education model because we have no idea if that's going to be any more successful than it's been in other places. With these voucher programs we've seen across the country, there's no accountability. They don't have to live up to state standards. It's the schools who do the choosing. It's not the parents. Lucian talked about parents having options. It's the private school who gets to decide whether or not a student is even able to come to that school. So it's the schools who have the choice, not parents. Um, And we haven't seen increased academic performance. And In fact, among students who have received vouchers, who go into these schools for the first time, their academic performance actually has gone down as compared to how other public school students were performing. Um, and, and a lot of times the folks who receive these vouchers are students who are already enrolled in private schools. So you're really just subsidizing the education for students whose parents have already put them into a private school program at a time when you're not fully funding your public school apparatus. So you know, and Republicans have to be, I think, honest from a policy standpoint. You can't continue to snipe at MAUP for the course of 20 years and not have your own alternative. It's the same thing I tell them about closing the coverage gap with insurance. You can't keep being obstinate and saying no and saying we ought to retool it. You've had more than enough time to retool it. They've controlled every aspect of our state government now for coming up on over a decade. You've had more than enough chance to do something like that. You certainly should do that before you start trying experimental methods that we have every hope would destabilize what we already have. We're going to take a quick, quick, quick break. We want to touch on health care. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. 
Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Welcome back. You're listening to Mississippi Edition, Republican Jace. Oh, excuse me. We are here <laughs> with <laughs> trying to get this moving quickly, but we are talking about um, the 2024 Mississippi legislative session with Republican Lucian Smith and Democrat Brandon Jones. And we want to get to health care very quickly. You know, there's been talk about um, the Affordable Care Act. Um, we're going to see more people, we're told, by the insurance department signing up for that program. Um, here is Senate Minority Leader Derek Simmons of Greenville. Nearly 80 percent of Mississippians, including voters, advocates, policy experts, hospital leaders, they want affordable access to health care. And so it is my hope that we could jump right in the 2024 legislative session and do what we know is beneficial to the 200,000-plus Mississippians who do not have health care, but also to save our hospitals by expanding Medicaid. Okay, this is a hot-button issue. Uh, Lucian, can we expand Medicaid? We need a workforce that is healthy. Your thoughts? We certainly can expand Medicaid um, eligibility. I think the question is whether we should, but I think that is going to be the the hot button, one of the hot button issues this legislative session. I think there, Jason White has already said he's open to discussing right. uh, Medicaid expansion as one of the possible solutions, but I, I think you're going to see a great deal of pushback from people like the governor who've said uh, they don't want to see us expand that program in Mississippi. So that that is going to be a a, uh, a real uh, fight. I think that's going to cross party and chamber lines. Okay, and Brandon, quickly. Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was optimistic about this session. This is I am. I think we might have a real discussion of an issue that's way past its time, and, and I'm hopeful they look at it. It's a no-brainer for Mississippi. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us for Mississippi Edition, talking about the 2024 legislative session. Lucian Smith, Brandon Jones, we thank you for your time. Thanks, Desiree. 